Today's episode of Speak LA, the podcast is sponsored by Actors Connection. Before we begin, one of the things we most often hear from our listeners is how hard it is to find an agent. If this is something that you are struggling with, go to ispeakla.com and download our free agent guide today. There's absolutely no shame in not having an agent, but we really want to help you get one. So go to ispeakla.com and grab your free agent guide now. Hi, Cam Cam. Hey, Jen Jen. <laughs> it never gets old. It never gets old. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I've been really looking forward to today and talking to Joy. I've, 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 I've enjoyed watching her over the years, and I've heard so many amazing things about her directly from you. I know. I'm, I mean, I'm going to be saying this a lot in this podcast, so yeah. watch out, guys. But um, <laughs> Joy is one of my absolute favorite people because she was my first acting teacher. Right. She completely shaped the way I look at acting, not only in terms of my craft, but also in how she approaches the business. She's just an incredible human and person. And I've just been really wanting to interview her. So I'm so excited about today. Me too. I know. I can't wait to see her, her face. (laughs) (laughs) um but before we get to joy Mm. jen Mm. it's just always such a pleasure to see you as well and i I would love to hear Mm. something that you've been doing that is la related oh well thanks for asking um you're welcome (laughs) i I love to know oh you know what i've done uh, you know what I've been doing lately that's been uh, related to LA that I've really enjoyed is I have been reading um, this book called uh, Hello, He Lied. Have you? Do you know this book? Yes. It's, it's yes. like from like the 80s, um, and yet I am still finding it incredibly relevant. Um, it's written by this producer, Linda Obst, and um, it's like it's all about Hollywood, and it's just full of uh, you know lessons about sort of surviving in LA from a from a producer's perspective, and I've just really been enjoying it. That's awesome. Yeah, what, thanks. What, yeah, thank yeah. you for the suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> uh. How old were you when you came to LA? I think I was twenty-seven. Where did you come from? I came from La Jolla, California, where I was uh, going to grad school at UCSD. What was a day job you had when you were coming up? I tempted in a office of a foreclosure attorney. It was so depressing. (laughs) (laughs) At what age did you get your first job in the entertainment industry? I, I think I was 27. I mean, I'd had some theater gigs, but for my LA job, I think it was that first year in LA. And what was it? It was a commercial for Blue Cross that I ended up getting completely cut out of. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was full initiation into LA. It was perfect. It was everything I yeah, needed. That yeah, it was great. Right, <laughs> right there, right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. If you had to sum up LA in one word, what would it be? Confusing. 
Oh, confusing. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, especially in the beginning, yeah. but really always. So con- it's always confusing. Very confusing. <laughs> so confusing to me. Been here for almost that 16 years. It's still really confusing to me. Still confusing. <laughs> Joy, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for, for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. This is a very special podcast because I have to say you were my first acting teacher. You were the person that inspired me <laughs> to be and an I, actor. I think Camille's a little nervous I, if you want to know the I'm truth. I'm a little gun shy. It's like my mentor <laughs> is here with us today. But Camille, <laughs> you know me well enough to know what a doofus I am. So you should never, <laughs> never feel that way around me. Never. Um, no. I've been looking forward to this for so long because I just, yeah. I know what an amazing actor you are, but I also know what an amazing teacher you are. And so mm-hmm. the way that you talk about acting and just the way you're going to talk right now on our podcast, I know it's going to be so informative. So I'm so excited. Yay. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. No pressure. <laughs> like, okay, so you need me to articulate things. Okay. Ready, ready. <laughs> we know this is going to be amazing. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> Um, no, this is going to be amazing. Camille raves. And I, I'm so, I'm so excited to get to talk to you and, and, and so excited for everybody that's listening to get to, to hear from you. Um, actress and acting teacher. So really amazing combo. I'd love to just hear about your beginning and and how you got into this and how, what made you want to be an actor? Well, I was not one of those people who had a real clear sense when I was young or early on. I, I, it took me a good long time to figure out this is what I wanted to do. And I think for me, that was really good because I had a whole other life before I became an actor. And so when I decided to completely jump into the abyss, you know, without any safety net, I knew what I was doing in the sense that I, I went from a steady job to one that had no guarantees. And so I, I was very conscious of what I was doing. I mean, as conscious as you can be when you're pursuing a dream, because I think in a lot of ways you have to have some glasses on, otherwise you wouldn't be pursuing it. But um, I just realized I didn't, I wasn't as happy as I was when I was acting, doing anything else. I was so fulfilled and stimulated and challenged and I hadn't found anything else that did that for me. So after I I worked uh, a couple times professionally in theater and then I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, I really don't. Um, and for some people, they're fine with that and they can go on that path and continue learning that way. For me, I was like, I'd like to be a student again. And that's when I went back to grad school and subsequently met Camille and um, and then moved to L.A. and have had my certainly my pathway towards education here as well. But, um, yeah, I was a very, very much an adult when I decided to do this, Which, older than, than old enough to know better. But uh, I did it anyway. so were you you were you were in your 20s when you even I mean like as a kid did you do like you know theater as a kid or did you take classes as a kid or or was it like really a brand new thing in your 20s that you decided yeah I danced I danced as a child I danced all the way through college Mm -hmm. so I was a performer in that regard but um in college, I did a couple plays, but I was always a dancer in the plays, too. So it wasn't the idea of being on stage alone, perhaps saying words was something I was not really 
prepared to do or familiar with. Uh, but yeah, again, once once I got out of school and was doing this other job, which was creative, I was a graphic designer, but it just wasn't active, you know? And so that's when I was like racking my brain. I was like, what what's missing? What do I need? And then I remembered the dance stuff. And then I was like, right, creative endeavor, lots of people together working towards the same thing. That's That's what I want to do. And the acting had always scared me. And so I thought, I, maybe I should look into that. I, I try, I try to do things that scare me. There's some things I will not do, but I try. I really, I really I, if my first reaction is, oh God, that's terrifying. Then I'm like, well, there must be something there. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> did, did you know that you wanted to come to LA? Was that in the plan or was that sort of once you got to grad school, you thought, or were you thinking New York at all? Or how did you decide on LA? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually, my my then partner at the time, we actually had all of our stuff in a moving service that said was like LA to New York or something. I, I was full on ready to go to New York because you know you graduate with an MFA in theater. No one in LA cares, and that's totally fine. <laughs> I think there is more of an appreciation for it now. There's more of an understanding, but that speaks in New York. That, that works on paper. They see those three letters and they're like, oh, like you're serious, kind of. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I was headed for New York. And then we showcased in New York and I felt really good about the response I got there. And then we showcased months later in L.A. where, where I expected nothing. And maybe that's what the key was. And actually, that's a pretty good <laughs> rule for life is to expect nothing. <laughs> because then when something happens, you're like, oh, and I got enough response in LA that I thought, you know what? I can go to New York and be an ingenue in my 40s. I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to stay here. That's not true, by the way. But I was like, I'm going to stay here and just, you know, like roll the dice and see what happens. And I was very fortunate. I've been very fortunate here. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've worked my ass off, but I've been very lucky here. Do you find, do you like auditioning? Do you like auditioning? And what is your approach with auditioning? I do. People say, if people ask me if I like to ride on roller coasters or gamble, I'm like, no, roller coasters are terrifying and gambling is a sure way to lose. For me, auditioning is both of those things. <laughs> That's how I get my adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't need to be in a car on a creaky wooden track climbing a long, slow hill. I can go into an audition room and do that and then plummet <laughs> and feel that rush <laughs> and get the thrill of, like, laying your cards on the table. I can do that in an audition room. So th those are that's my way of, of getting, getting a rush. Um, I think I have always liked auditioning and I'm not sure why, because there's nothing humane about the process. It's um, completely its own skill. It is often borderline abusive of a process. Um, so I'm not sure why I've come to embrace it, maybe because there's no other choice. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I like it. It's a fun challenge. And I like walking into a room and sharing a character with other people. I love that you just said that. It's it, the reason I asked you this, and this is one of the things we really wanted to ask you about, is because I actually, and, and you don't know this, but I was sitting with a casting director who knew you, 
And she said to me, Joy is such an amazing auditioner. And I remember thinking that makes, not only is Joy an, ama- an amazing auditioner and teacher too, I've got to throw that in there, but um, an actor as well. And you don't always see that. You don't always find that combination with actors where, you know, some people are great at auditioning, not so great once they start acting. You know, some people are great actors, so but true. the auditioning side is harder for them. And the fact that you, you're able to do both I think is really unique. So I'm wondering if there's, and you, you mentioned this already, but if there's a, something that you would, a tip that you would give to actors in terms of embracing the auditioning part, because you don't hear a lot of people say, I enjoy auditioning <laughs> and I'm good at it. <laughs> and you're both. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. And that's a lovely comment from that casting director. I, I Now that you're saying it out loud, it's like, Maybe I say that so I can trick myself into thinking it's true <laughs> that I like auditioning. <laughs> Maybe that's just a mantra I feed myself that I is not actually true, but I, I try to sway my own brain. Because yeah, I, it's a catch twenty two. Because I feel like the better you get, uh, you you get better the more opportunities you have. But of course, it's hard to get opportunities in the first place. So how can you make it so that every time you don't walk in the room, you're not like this is it this is the one chance. And then I don't know for how many more months or years I'm going to get until I have this chance again. Um, That's a ridiculously hard position to be in. And I know a lot of actors are in that position. And I have certainly had plenty of times where, I mean, I remember when I first started auditioning, I would get so full of adrenaline that I would just be shaking. And that doesn't really inspire confidence. It doesn't matter how great your performance is. If they can see you visibly vibrating, they're like, that's not going to work on camera. (laughs) You're like, no, no, you're right. That won't work. (laughs) Unless the person is like a drug addict or like has some specific physical disorder that causes them to constantly tremble. (laughs) But um, yeah, so for me, it was just a matter of practice. And then I think I've tried to see every audition as an adventure and also as a mini performance. Because I know you, know you wouldn't be an actor unless you love to perform. And so if I can think of the audition as a chance where I have everyone in that room trapped <laughs> and they have to watch me, <laughs> then I think, you know, like, what can I, what can I amaze them with? Like, what can I go in there? And it's not about pleasing them because that's a surefire way to just completely undermine your own choices and second guess yourself until you come up with nothing, right? But it's a matter of of assuming that you're going to be interesting in the first place, which can be tricky. And then going in and being like, I'm worth their time. I'm worth the time I'm going to take to show them what I've prepared for them. It may not be at all what they're looking for, but it is exactly who I am. And that has taken me a long time to get to that sense of even if it's not what they like or what they wanted, it's what I wanted to do. And so as long as I can walk out of that audition room feeling like I did what I came to do, then I'm good. Then I can literally walk away and forget about it, which I've also gotten pretty good at doing, which is a hard thing. That's so hard. But um, but yeah, it's really become more about what I can offer them and and less about what um, what I need to get from them, any sense of approval I need to get from them, because you might be hilarious, but they can't laugh because they don't want it on the camera. You know what I mean? And I've been in audition rooms like that where I'm like, I'm pretty sure I was funny. 
And then I, and then I was told later, oh, no, 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 they, they don't laugh because they don't want to cloud your lines. Or, and I was like, you know, knowing that ahead of time might have been helpful. <laughs> so you don't walk into a completely dead room and walk out full of self-doubt. But uh, yeah, and you know, it's a process I'm still refining. There's plenty of auditions that I walk into where I'm nervous and, and um, not sure, um, but, but it's better over time. You know, one of the things that I love so much about getting to do this podcast and getting to speak to professionals like you, Joy, is that, um, and Camille's heard me say this before, is, is getting to hear the common denominators. And, um, you know, something you, you're, you're speaking to is something that we've heard from a lot of professional actors, which is um, sort of this idea of doing what you want to do in an audition, you know, making sure that, that that's the highest goal, not, um, as you said, not pleasing the people in the room, but, but, but that you feel a sense of success, you know, regardless of whether you book or not, if you um, did what you set out to do. And I love that. And I feel like, you know, even after 20 plus years myself, um, in this business in, in a variety of different ways, I'm just starting to kind of understand what that means. And I, I, I just wonder if, I I, I'd love it if you could just talk a little more about that because I feel like newer, younger actors might, uh, might just sort of have, because I know I did, have a hard time kind of finding the balance between, um, you know, what we're taught in acting school, which is like to interpret the text and like, you know, serve the writer and kind of like, you know, versus uh, what I think, you know, so many actors in film say, like you just did, which is like bringing yourself and showing them who you are and that that's really the goal. So I, I kind of, I don't know if you could just maybe, it's a hard question, I know, but like speak a little bit to the balance of those two things. I think that's a great question. I think particularly if you come from a theater training background, because you're right. We, you know, we spent years <laughs> parsing Shakespeare and, and actors who tend to come out of, uh, who come out of theater programs, I think tend to have this reverence for text. And certainly in certain cases, that's absolutely right because the text deserves the reference and the reverence. And there's a reason that it has that, but, and, and not to undermine contemporary text, but a lot of this work that's being done on a weekly basis you know, it's not, it's not a canon <laughs> in the way that Shakespeare text is. And so what they're looking for is just the, the driving through of a storyline. Say if it's in a, you know, serialized drama, they're just looking for you, the actor, to recognize that sometimes your job is to provide information. That's it. And if you can do that yeah. in a natural, compelling, clear way, you might get the job. But like, I just had an audition for something like that. And I, I think for me, a part of the, the balance has come from learning and understanding how to read the technical aspects of a role and thus an audition um, verse and, and incorporate my own choices with it. And then uh, learn when, when the text serves you because sometimes it really does. It can inform so many things about the choices that you make particularly things in comedy, right? Like when it's a half hour multicam, the pacing and the rhythm is very specific, right? It, even compared to a show like Community, that's a single cam. And so understanding the different genres really helps me figure out my way in. Um, 
But yeah, finding that balance between honoring the text, which for some TV writers, say Aaron Sorkin, like needs you to be letter perfect. Now I've never had the experience of working with him, but I've heard the stories and I get it. And if you are working with a writer like that, then you must be letter perfect. But honestly, for the most part, I find that more important is the way you breathe in the role. Like they're looking for you to just embody it. They want you to, they want you to tell them what it is because oftentimes they don't know. They have no idea. They might have written something and they might have put some, even some details that seem specific about the character. Even like the size she is or how tall or what her hair looks like or what kind of dresser she is. But honestly, none of that is helpful if it impedes your process. Like if I read a side, I used to, and I still do have this problem sometimes, I'll read a side that's it's just, the character is described as sexy. And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> because to me, that that's not something that I feel like I access in a way that is simple. Whereas I see some actors and they're just, they can just click right into that. And there's a myriad of ways that that is embodied. But for me, I'm like, oh, I'm instantly uncomfortable. <laughs> so then I have to find ways that I feel that, me. And it doesn't matter if it reads, it doesn't matter if anyone else translates it that way. But in the final analysis, I'm the one that has to be saying the words and embodying who this is. So it has to be personal to me. And I think that's what is often meant by just bringing yourself to it. You're just making it intensely personal to you. It doesn't mean that we wanna see your personality all the time because that's not interesting necessarily either, especially if the character is completely different from you. But like if I play someone that's evil, I, got, I get so many questions about something like that. They're like, how do you do that when it's so not who you are? And I was like, well, it's a little bit of who everyone is, really. You know, so like, right. I don't ever judge characters in that way. And I think that's another part of finding the balance for me. But um, for young actors just starting out, it's one of the hardest things too, because you're still figuring out who you are. And I mean, ideally though, that's kind of a lifelong process, figuring out who you are, ideally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would, it, part of me would really love in my 80s to be like, what do I think about that? You know, it's when you have all the, <laughs> right? Because it's when you have all the answers that what's the point? You know, if there's no yeah. mystery, if there's, if there's no confusion about things, then you've stopped really asking questions, which is no good. So. Which is boring. So boring. So boring. <laughs> So yeah, I don't that was a really roundabout way to answer your question. No, that was a that was a perfect answer. That was a perfect answer. And I lo I love I love particularly the thing you said about that they're trying to figure it out too. I think that's such a good thing for us to remember cuz actors, you know, so many actors are so terrified of auditioning and and just remembering that you know, it's this collaborative process that we're usually all in together. You know, they're usually not Aaron Sorkin. Um, we've heard from so many directors and, and showrunners that we've interviewed that that they're looking for somebody to come in and surprise them. Yep. That's, that's the word that they often use, you know. And it's like they're not, you know, I think I used to think they're looking for someone to come in and do it right, you know, mm. and that's not what they say. Mm. They say they want somebody to surprise them. So I, I think your answer is um, spot on. Mm. I, I really, I really yeah, liked it. Yeah, I did too. And it's such a relief. And I hope that those, um, our listeners that are listening to this, 
can breathe a sigh of relief because we do hear that a lot. And I, and I, and it's so funny because people say uh, very similarly to what you said, where it took me years to figure out that all I was doing was bringing myself to the role. And I think so many people say, well, how do I bring myself to the role? And you just, you just, you just said it, you know, you, you connect it back to who you are and how you show up in the role and you offer that up and that's good enough. And there is no one else out there that's mm-hmm. like you. So it, no one could possibly interpret the role like you. And for some reason, I think that takes everybody a long time to really embrace. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It, I mean, I guess it just comes down to fundamentally trusting yourself. And in an industry where you're getting all these external forces telling you different things about who you should be and what you should look like. And uh, I mean, it's exhausting. And so finding your center amidst all that is an ongoing challenge, I think. Clearly, for actors at all points in their career, yeah. you know, it's an ongoing thing. I'd love to hear a little bit about specifically your experience as an Asian American actress in this industry. Have there been experiences that you've had um, that you would like to share with us? So when I came to L.A. and, and signed with my agent, I, one of the first things I said to her was, I don't want to go out for any roles that are a newscaster or a prostitute. <laughs> because at the time, those were the two holes you could fall into as an Asian American woman. You were either Connie Chung or me love you long time. And wow. Oh my God. Yeah, and it says a lot how far we've come. But I was, and listen, I was like, listen, if the prostitute, Oh, the newscaster is really multi-layered and interesting. I'm down for it. But if it's just like, like, don't waste anyone's time. Don't waste the casting director's time. Please don't waste my time. That's not the path I want to go on. And so I was very aware that that might mean that I would miss some opportunities or miss some jobs or whatever. But I just, it's a one thing, I think because I was a little older, that I knew the importance of saying no and that it was okay to do that even at the beginning, to say, here are my clear Mm. parameters of what I will and will not do. And I don't want to go down that road. Um, So for better, for worse, those are the things I said to my agent. And you know what? She was great. She totally got what I was saying. And so my first big TV role was not specifically seeking an Asian American actor. I think when we tested for it, it was between me and a blonde woman. So for me, that was a, a huge sign of success because I had managed to be an Asian American woman who was competing on a level playing field. And uh, that's all I w- I've ever wanted. Um, I love being in a community of Asian American artists. That's something that's super important to me. Um, and I love being someone who can play and access any type of character. Um, I don't speak any Asian languages. I don't know any martial arts. <laughs> That's, uh, I wish, believe me, I wish I spoke another language, but the martial arts was actually fairly deliberate too. I was like, I think I will not go down that route either. Um, there's lots of talented people who can do it and Godspeed to them, but I just, that wasn't me either. I was more of a weird, quirky, bizarre character actor. I was never someone who could look particularly cool. Um, So yeah, (laughs) that's been my experience and I've been lucky. I feel like I have, 
I definitely met with some racism in the industry and some limitations in the industry. But again, I think because I try my hardest to be, when I'm in spaces, to be entitled to be there. And I do my best not to be apologetic or kind of shy or, and if I see that there's a problem, I say so. And if I have an objection to a line, I tell them. And it can be scary sometimes because, of course, in the back of every actor's mind, you're like, well, they could just fire me at any time because I'm disagreeing. I mean, it happens all the time. But uh, I've felt really supported in that. And I'm not sure why I don't. It's not like I have this cadre of people around me always saying, you can do it. I just, um, I just have always felt like I'm entitled to be in a space. And so I'm going to be there. I love that answer. <laughs> That's great. I, I uh, you know, maybe you've been lucky, but I think clearly you've also been really smart and, um, and, and, and had a real sense yourself from the beginning, which which is so admirable to me because I, I absolutely did not. You know, I thought for years I just thought we all had to just do whatever you know they whoever they is told us to do, and I think it's just going to help you know so many people that hear you say this to know that you can say no, I, you know, I don't want to play this kind of role, whatever it is, you know, and, um, and there's a way to, I, I just grace, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like that was going to be my to, next question. Yeah. Actually. Like you don't have to be how you do it or you don't have to do it in a like yeah. self-aggrandizing way or anything. But I remember I had an audition. I was offered an audition for a role in an Adam Sandler movie. I think it was the role of his wife or his love interest who was Asian. And I read the script and she was to me a very, gratuitous character. She had a dialect for no reason other than to be funny. And um, it just didn't resonate with me. And I was like, you know what, another actor might see this and be like, I can nail this and make it really funny and keep up with Adam Sandler. And this could be my thing. And my hat's off to her. Clearly someone did it. But for me, I was like, nope, not good for her, not for me, as Amy Poehler likes to say. And uh, <laughs> uh, so I just said, no, thank you. I don't want to, again, I don't want to waste anyone's time. Like, I'm not going to go into a job interview if I don't want the job. And we have the choice to say no at that point. And so I said, nope, I'm good. Someone else can have the opportunity, not me. Um, but at the time, I was like, that's an Adam Sandler movie, man. That's like, that'd be a good paycheck. That'd be, that'd be a big step. But that, that wouldn't have been the way I wanted to do it. So, yeah be graceful i i this is gonna be a very strange question that i ask you so be prepared for this <laughs> are you ready are you ready i you know it, yeah, totally. okay how do i even phrase it joy i don't know um you it, it's knowing you and knowing how you work as well like just from you know being your student those years ago and seeing you as a grad student and knowing how precise you are in um in the work that you bring to your roles. I mean, you work really, really hard. And, um, and then you also create these incredible characters. Um, and I'm noticing as you're talking, it's also something that you're bringing to your business in the industry, where you work hard and you work smart. And it's, it's a very interesting parallel for me to notice just knowing you from these two different parts of my life, you know? And so I wonder 
in this long question, winded question I'm asking you is if you were to bottle up some of these things that you're saying, like if it was like a genie in a bottle kind of thing, like a little magic potion of having this confidence that you clearly have, the ability to say no, the ability to say I am worth it in this room, um, because not everybody has that. So is there one thing that you could give someone to um, help them get there or to, to start practicing that taking up space the way you do? Um, and, and I just want to add, as I see you're thinking about this, that one of the things that I often say to my students is understand how you rehearse because it will help you with your stage fright, right? So if you know how to rehearse a character, you can tell your brain, <laughs> no, 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 I have done the work. And I think you do that so well, but I'm wondering how you do that in a different aspect, which is just showing up in this business, which is a really hard business with a lot of rejection and these huge opportunities, like the one that you were talking about with Adam Sandler, where you're like, you know what, this isn't for me. Yeah, like, God, that's such a great question. And if someone can answer that, I'd really <laughs> love to know. I feel like you <laughs> No. I mean, yeah, you're right, though, because, again, if you do it enough times, you start to know that even if you're feeling completely freaked out, you've done the work, the foundation is there, it will support you. But how that's translated into how you approach the business is a very good distinction because I know, and we've all known so many just like genius, like brilliant actors, but it's very tricky and hard for them to treat their career as a business, which it is. Like if you want longevity, you've got to take it to the bank like a business plan, right? When you ask for a loan, it's got to be the same kind of, okay, plotting out. What do I want by this point? What do I want by this point? And I certainly don't have a grid or anything, but I definitely have some, some clear goals that I've set for myself. And that helps. Um, the other thing I would say is that I've, I feel like I've gotten pretty good at treating myself objectively. And maybe that means thinking of yourself as you would like a friend that you think is incredible, say, who you could, you could stand that friend in any room and it's just espouse their virtues for hours, right? You could be like, this is Camille. She's beautiful. She's intelligent. She's talented. She's kind. I mean, look at her. She's amazing. And everything that comes out of <laughs> her mouth is going to be brilliant. And if you can do that to yourself, even a little bit, I think, I think that's where you can start to practice a sense of confidence is just be like, how would I, how would I present my dearest friend? And then that's like, well, that's how you should be presenting and caring about yourself, right? Um, so it's not always easy because I'm also super hard on myself. I'm very self-critical. And that has been a process for me too is, you know, when I've made mistakes or, or not lived up to my own expectations, it's how do I forgive myself and move on? It's hard because I really can hold a grudge against myself, like for serious, like for a long time. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I would, I would say, I would say be objective, find a way to, to look at your skills and your talents as a product. And that's not, that doesn't mean you're selling out or that doesn't mean you're, you're buying into some commercialized art. It means you're able to take a step back 
and look at your skill set and see where it needs improvement for one thing, like any product that you were working to develop, right? You do trial run after trial run after trial run and find out where the weak points were, right? So you'd be like, oh, this looks, this tent looks fantastic, but it seriously leaks along the seams. So you do a next iteration with the sealed seams and you'd make it better. Okay, so let's say you go into an audition and you're super, super shaky. <laughs> and you're like, all right, okay, that was my first auditions. The next one will be better because I will have had some practice. And maybe I will be more off book. So I'm more confident the next time and not so reliant on looking at the page. So you start to find the ways in which you can scaffold yourself, right? So you can give yourself a way so you can access all the different floors of what, need, what needs to be accessed. And, um, you know, there's varying degrees of success with this. <laughs> so, so uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's what I would just say is to find a level of objectivity and always, always with kindness to yourself, to the other people around you, um, and to, to go into auditions and working with an openness and a sense of humility. And maybe that's a really important distinction is I think some people equate humility with being run over. And to me, true humility is one of the greatest strengths you could possibly exhibit because it means your ego is out of the question, right? If you can be truly humble, it means you can take a piece of direction, you can take a piece of criticism, you can take, you can take language that comes at you that you might find really upsetting or disturbing in the moment <laughs> and either find the graceful way to come right back at it or Maybe it's that's just how the director communicates and it's not going to change. And so you have to learn how to deal with that. And if it's less about it hurting your feelings and more about, okay, then how can I really like buckle down, dig in deep and hold on to who I am? Then that's, I think, when humility can really serve you in a profound way. And I think that is one of the greatest skills you can bring toward your acting career is is humility. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I, lo I love, I love, I, I, I've always been so fascinated and in awe of those who have great confidence, great talent and great humility. And, um, yeah. you know, and, and I think some people think that those things don't go together. But but they go together beautifully. Oh. Like it's like it's like it's like the purest. Yeah, um, I love that. I I'm devastated because we're out of time. Okay. So because um, I could I could sit and listen to you all night. But um, uh, we love to end our podcast, not to put you on the spot, but to um, ask you if you could share with us an LAism, which is oh, something that you have noticed is something that is unique to Los Angeles. Something that is, um, you know, maybe only done in LA or mostly done in LA um, or something about LA. I'm sure someone you... has said this before, but for me, it yeah. always be the signs that tell actors not to park there. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, nobody really? said that. I, yeah. I remember when I first came here and I was tiny, you know, flake, flustered, sweating, stressed out about some audition and frantically trying to find parking. I was like, oh, there's a lot. And then it, there's a big old sign that said, do not park your actors. Oh my god! Like just the like the lowest scum on the aquarium. We're just so low. Oh my god! Seen that any in any other city? I love. You know what? That is the most perfect LAism because you aren't going to be in Iowa or um, Ohio or even. Massachusetts or North Carolina or and have a sign say <laughs> actors do not park here. <laughs> That's perfect. I love it. That's a perfect LAism. Oh my God. Yeah, we all know. Um Joy, thank yes, you thank so you. much. It was yeah, this has been pleasure. really great. Thanks, you guys. Really fun. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Speak LA, the podcast. We want to be able to bring you more episodes like this one, but we can only do that with your support. So please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to Speak LA, the podcast. For more information on Speak LA, go to ispeakla.com. This episode of Speak LA, the podcast was sponsored by Actors Connection. Actors Connection offers free resources, including valuable online programs, for more information, go to actorsconnection.com and sign up for their e-blast today. Our sound engineer is the very talented Dan Leonard of homevoiceoverstudio.com. My name is Jen Jostin. And I'm Camille Thornton-Alson, and we are the founders of Speak LA. To find out more about us, go to ispeakla.com. That's ispeakla.com. See you next time.